Well, you're listening to the Dogs Program, the Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools, and we're here every Saturday at 12 noon to defend and promote public education. And there's been a lot of people around Australia, but most particularly in New South Wales, who've been very active in recent elections. There was a change of government in New South Wales and the state school vote made a difference. And they have a lot of problems with their public school system because the teachers are moving away. The private school system has its own problems too, of course, but uh, funding isn't one of them. And one of the things the uh, people like Save Our Schools and others have been exposing is that the state governments haven't been putting in the money to give 100% of the resource standard to the public sector. And up in New South Wales, all of their activism, all of the teachers' strikes are paying off. And we're going to hear about it from Oliver. Thank you, Jean. On May the 5th, there was great excitement in New South Wales, most particularly at a state school's principal conference. The state minister for education, Prue Carr, and the federal education minister, Jason Clare, signed a pledge to commit to funding public schools to meet the minimum funding required for the educational needs of students, witnessed by principal members of the union. State Minister Prukar and federal counterpart Jason Clare signed the oversized deed of trust during Federation's annual principals conference, where the MPs addressed attendees from across the state. The document states, we are committed to ensuring every NSW public school is on a path to reach 100% of the schooling resource standard, the fair funding level. The schooling resource standard, a funding benchmark to meet students' needs, was recommended in the Gonski and Crew report back in 2011. However, coalition governments shifted away from the direction of the original National School Reform Agreement, the NSRA. The funding agreement between the federal and NSW governments and slowed pace of public schools reaching the 100% benchmark. The shortfall should never have been an issue, but for the coalition's policy. Federation President Angelo Gavrilitas said, we've been around for a while and seen a few of these NSRAs and they haven't gone the way they should have gone. He said, I think both of you should sign this in front of our principals as witness to this commitment by the state and federal minister to finally get the job done to give our schools, our kids, the funding they need, the funding they deserve. Jason Clare has shown his commitment to public education before and is in fact a graduate of the NSW state system. But who is Prue Carr? According to Wikipedia, Prudence Anne Carr, MP, is an Australian politician serving as the 20th and current Deputy Premier of New South Wales since March 2023. She has served as the Labour member for Londonderry in the New South Wales Legislative Assembly since 2015. She previously served as the deputy leader of the NSW opposition. Shadow Minister for Education and Shadow Minister for Early Childhood Learning. Carr was a Penrith City Councillor and National Communications Manager at MS Australia when she was elected. She had previously been an advisor to Premier Bob Carr from 2003 to 2005 and campaign coordinator of the Labour Party from 2005 to 2007. Carr was born and raised in Western Sydney in New South Wales. She is Indian and French heritage with a grandfather who is French and her father from Durgapur, West Bengal, India. Carr is married with one son, 
2022, she took leave from parliament to undergo treatment for kidney cancer. So Prue has been a career politician from an early age, and she is listening to the public school voters who put her into power. But where did she go to school? And where does she send her son to school? The following quote from an article by Lucy Carroll in the Sydney Morning Herald of May 6th gives a clue to her own schooling in the Catholic system. When a teenager, Prue Carr was when a teenage Prue Carr was nearing the end of high school some two decades ago, she gave her English teacher a framed photograph of Paul Keating. The photo, still on her teacher's bookshelf at her home in Castle Hill, was taken in early October 1999. On the day the former Prime Minister gave his ALP life membership acceptance speech to a packed state Labour conference in Sydney. It was a classic caustic Keating address, vitriolic and rousing, as the Herald commented. This is the home of faith of true believers, he told the forum. Everyone here believes in Labour, but we need good candidates out there who can win seats. For Carr, then a 17-year-old pupil at a Western Sydney Catholic school, the formidable Labour figure, who was never afraid of a challenge, struck a chord because he was a boy from Bankstown. Now, six weeks in as a deputy premier and the state's newest education minister, Carr is confronting seismic policy challenges of her own. How to turn around tumbling student results, how to rebuild confidence in NSW's public education system, and how to plug chronic teacher shortages. It's the right of every student to attend their local school, she told the Herald. I'm going to be a champion of public education. We need to be take, talking up our system and we need to build confidence in the system so we, we can encourage more to enroll in our public schools and encourage the next generation of teachers to teach in public schools. And a clue to the somewhat cynical view of her promises is found in several comments on the Lucy Carroll article. This is from Farmer Gun Rabbit Field. Oh, come on. Her name is Prue and she is a career politician. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss, won't get fooled again. From used Tupperware salesperson. This is a great example of why we end up with political solutions rather than best strategies. Kara is a person with no experience except in politics. No company would ever take the risk of appointing a CEO without experience. Just look at this week's Qantas appointment a seasoned and proven performer. Car, on the other hand, has no proven history in top management. Running a few errands for Bob Carr is not the experience required, and then she only has the help of the new department head, a former school teacher. God help NSW education. The drift to private schools will become a stampede. And then from Sisyphus, her appointment is very surprising. She talks up her plans, but then sends her son to a private school. She needs to lead by example, move to a place where her child can get public school education and enjoy the results. How can she have any credibility otherwise? Until she sends him to a public school, how can she have any credibility? The parents who can afford private schools will follow her example. Nor has Prue Carr left her commitment to her faith, the Catholic vote and Catholic voters behind. The following article appeared in the Catholic Weekly of December, 22, of December 22nd, 2022. Despite it being one of Prue Carr's favourite times of the year, her Christmas break will be short-lived as she heads back to work early to contest the March state election. But the time she does have away from the office will be spent with family and friends reflecting on the blessings she has received throughout 2022. 
In a year of highs and lows, the NSW deputy opposition leader confesses she has much to be grateful for. In July, she had an aggressive tumour successfully removed from her kidney, and in October, got engaged to longtime partner Brad. Through it all, the mother of one is in no doubt God has been walking the path alongside her. She said the many blessings she has received has reminded her how important her faith is. Every Christmas, we try and get our family together. It's such an important time of year for reflecting on what we can all be thankful for, particularly our family and friends, she told the Catholic Weekly recently. However, it will be a short Christmas break for me this year. With the March election now close at hand, my hope for the new year is my family and friends are happy and healthy. Anything beyond that is a bonus. Although I must say, what I have been through with my health over the past six months has taken me back to the real faith of my childhood. You must really believe in something bigger and doing something for the greater good. Dogs hope that Prukar's doing something bigger and for the greater good wins out over the self-interest of the private school system. Back to you, Jean. Well, that's a very interesting, um, uh, an interesting uh, biography, I suppose. Uh, the uh, she's a consummate politician. She's come up through through the political ranks. She knows very little about education. Uh, some people are pretty cynical about what sort of an education minister she is. However, she has the wit to realise that the state school vote now really does count and has almost certainly put her into power. But she still sends her child, her son, as we found out, to a Catholic school. Uh, the dogs, by the way, are not criticising her for uh, her belief. Uh, her belief has obviously given her a great deal of comfort in her, in her suffering over the last 12 months, but we believe that it's best to put the children of all faiths together in the public system so that we can learn to live together. But uh, we'll have a bit of a break and we'll come back and find out about a man who's actually probably behind the scenes and is perhaps a more important appointment than Prukar. It's all about a voice in our own country. We've got a reason for screaming out, where's our voice in this country? You know, not that I want to be a part of the Constitution for that, you know. That's why 3CR is so important to, to me and this community here. We've got a voice, but it's not, you know, we're entitled to a bigger voice than what we've got, but it's all about having a voice. Subscribe to 3CR, fiercely independent and community controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03 9419 8377. annual Radiothon fundraiser launches in June. We need your financial support to be independent, community controlled and focused on people rather than profits. Your support during Radiothon keeps the station radical and enables us to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year. And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference and all donations over $2 are tax deductible. 3CR Radiothon, show your support during June 2023. 3CR, stay tuned, stay radical.
Well, you're listening to the Dogs Program still, I hope, because we've got a lot more interesting material for you this afternoon. But um, up there in New South Wales, uh, there's another person behind Prukar who has almost certainly engineered the promise to uh, give full 100% resource standard funding to our public sector. And this is the new Secretary of Public Education in that state. Jack is going to tell us about this gentleman. Over to you, Jack. Mira Desdar, uh, PSM, is the Acting Secretary of the New South Wales Department of Education, which delivers quality education and training services for the people of New South Wales. This includes the Early Childhood Education and Care Sector, that's the ECEC, government and non-government non schools, and the Vocational Education and Training Sector. Murat's career began as a social sciences teacher at Ashcroft High School. He has experience in a range of school leadership roles, including senior principal of Balmore and principal boys' high schools. Prior to commencing as acting secretary, Murat co-led the school performance division. This team provides support to uh, 95,000 teachers and school leaders across more than 2,200 schools to deliver a high quality education for more than 790,000 students. Virat presided over the Bush Paris strategy that supported communities dev devastated by the 2020 fires, as well as the Connected Communities Directorate that strengthens the educational outcomes for Aboriginal students. Virat holds a Bachelor of Education and secondary humanities, measuring in economics and geography from the University of Sydney. He has undertaken a leadership for the 21st century course at Harvard Kennedy School. He currently serves as an adjunct uh, professor in the School of Education in the Western Sydney University. He was awarded the Australian Day Public Service Medal in 2016 and Australian Council of Educational Leaders uh, and New South Wales Fellowship Medal in 2019 and, and ACEL National Fellowship in 2020 and the Nanga Maya Department of Education and New South Wales AECG Incorporated Partnership Award 2021. Murat is also a proud graduate of the New South Wales public education system. He never forgets the impact that Mr. Gillens, Ms. Johnson, Mr. Baker and Mr. Strum had on his life as a young student at Fort Street High School. At Fort Street High School. Yes, that's my, my old alma mater. But uh, yes, uh, so I find Mr. Dizda a very interesting person indeed. And uh, let's hope that... Uh, the New South Wales public education system goes from strength to strength. But, of course, down here in Victoria, we are still waiting for Mr Andrews and our Minister for Education here and our Secretary of the Education Department to give us the guarantee that our Victorian schools will get the 100% funding resource standard from Gonski. They're still way, way under the mark. But uh, we'll have a bit of a break. 
Throughout the month of June, we'll be asking you, the listener, to support radical, community-owned media during our Radiothon. We'll be taking donations online, over the phone and in the station to help keep 3CR going for another year. Fierce, independent community media is vital and we need your support to keep radical voices and issues on the airwaves. The 3CR Radiothon kicks off in June. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. Call the station on 03 or drop in at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy during business hours. 3CR, stay tuned, stay radical. I'm Alphonse. I'm Erwin. And we, we are, are from, from the Voice of West Papua. Tuesday 6.30 until 7.30 p.m. News and music from West Papua. Well, you're still listening to the dogs program i hope and all is not well all is not well for our university students there is a reason why our young people cannot get homes cannot even get ahead after they've paid their rent uh, and uh, there's a, a reason why we can't even get teachers into our schools over to you dale Thanks, Jean. This is an article from The Guardian. We got educated and exploited. Nadia Sheriff's $35,000 loan has only reduced to $32,800 after 20 years. And it's by Caitlin Cassidy. So as a teenager in the 1990s, Nadia Sheriff remembers seeing posters plastered around her university campus. Don't have enough food to eat, they blared. Can't cover the basics. The posters offered an enticing solution, a quick loan to fund student expenses while she was studying that could be paid back when she was working full time. But after almost 20 years of repaying her debt, Sheriff's $35,000 loan has only been reduced to $32,800. I've paid way more than I ever borrowed and given up an entitlement that was mine, my pound of flesh and then some, says Sheriff, now 43, and a mother of two. It's predatory and it's a rort. Although the Student Financial Supplement Scheme, SFSS, introduced by Labor was dumped 20 years ago, recipients, many of them now in their 40s and 50s, are still struggling to pay off the debts they racked up. Last week, Guardian Australia revealed the federal government was still chasing $2 billion of debt from more than 140,000 former low-income students like Sheriff who borrowed under the scheme. And the problem is set to get worse. With quarterly consumer prices index figures released last week showing Australia's with student debt are facing the highest increase in decades when indexation is added on the 1st of June. 
MPs and advocates have urged the government to reform the repayment system. Meanwhile, students, including sheriffs, are calling on the federal government to ease the growing pressure on them decades after they took a loan that was meant to help. I had zero idea what I was signing up to. The SFSS operated for a decade from 1993, enticing tertiary students to take out low-cost loans by trading away their right to welfare, including youth allowance or study or the pensioner education supplement. Every dollar of welfare a student gave up entitled them to $2 in an SFSS loan, which could be used to help cover expenses while studying. Minors were able to take out loans without their guardian's authorities and were able to receive up to $7,000 at a time. Sheriff, who was first in her family to go to university, said it didn't cross her mind at 17 that to receive the maximum $7,000 loan under the scheme, she'd have to trade in $3,500 of her off-study money she was entitled to receive from the federal government. And the 3500 then became a debt indexed in line with inflation that she would have to pay off. She took the loan five times, racking up $35,000 worth of debt. Brad, who asked us not to give his full name and who considers himself one of the victims of the SFSS loans, says maximum payments were granted with no assessment of capacity to pay. Only the poorest kids took them up because it was such a sham. The most vulnerable were hoodwinked by the government, he says. Brad took out three loans in the 1990s, in the late 1990s as a teenager, amounting to $17,000. I've paid back approximately $10,000 and my current amount owed is $13,325 and growing. I had zero idea what I was signing up to. None. Jen, who would also like not to give her full name, says she was a naive 18-year-old when she borrowed $31,000 in over, over a six-year period in the 1990s. Jen has paid back 24466 towards her student debt, but still owes more than 21000 She says the scheme appeared to come with a lifelong debt sentence. The coalition dumped the scheme at the end of 2003, acknowledging that it was saddling students with high levels of debt, was administratively cumbersome and poorly targeted, and effectively hit people with hidden interest rates through foregone welfare. At the time, it was estimated up to 50% of the loans were never repaid. Biggest debt in decades. 20 years after the scheme was dumped, there's a renewed push to, to abolish indexation and combat growing debt. Last year, the Greens introduced a bill abolishing indexation on education and training loans and raised the minimum repayment threshold of student loans. Senator Maureen Faruqi, who introduced the bill, said the SFSS scheme was cruel and targeted some of the most vulnerable in our society, including minors. It's an abomination that people continue to have to pay their SFSS debts, despite the scheme become, being acknowledged as fundamentally flawed by the government, she said. The blunt reality that people suffering under this historical Scheme will never be able to pay back these debts highlights the need for all debt under the scheme to be wiped out completely. This is what should have been done when the SFSS was acted. 
in the, a submission to a recent Senate inquiry to into the bill, Sheriff called on the federal government to ease the pressure on SFSS recipients. The bill was knocked back this month. The National Union of Students, which campaigned against it uh, when it was first enacted, is also pushing for indexation to be abolished. It's just ridiculous, the president Bailey Riley says it puts students further in debt and a massive burden to save for anything. We're struggling under the biggest debt in decades. Indexation is biggest and it's been going for 30 years. It's worrying. Sheriff has found herself in tears to the taxation office trying to negotiate repayments of her seemingly never-ending loan. She now made the tough decision to incorporate her remaining debt into her home loan. It stings to have to carry this for another 30 years, but the impact that it's having on my annual tax return and my take-home pay isn't worth it anymore. It's brought me shame and sleepless nights, even though I did nothing wrong. The government said the scheme was designed to support those on the lowest incomes to become educated. But sadly, we got educated and exploited at the same time. We've paid our dues and then some. And that's a shocking report. It's interesting to think that the pollies who put all of those schemes in play all got their degrees for free. But yeah, that soon changed, didn't it? Back to you, Jean. And now we've got Maddie, who's got another very interesting article, uh, May the 9th, the closure fears for four Catholic schools. Good heavens, the Catholic schools are not doing as well as they might have hoped. I wonder why. Although the private school enrolments are up, they're going to the non-Catholic schools, unfortunately, for the Catholic schools. So there are four schools here in Melbourne that are in fear of closure. Over to you, Maddie. Thank you so much, Jean. This article was in The Age and it was written by Madeline Heffernan. The future of small Catholic schools could be at risk as four inner-city Catholic primary schools face potential closure due to tiny student numbers. Melbourne Archdiocese Catholic Schools has confirmed the review saying all schools with fewer than 150 students were assessed for enrolment prospects, financial and education performance, and whether enrolled families were open to attending alternative schools. More than 175 Victorian Catholic schools have fewer than 150 enrolments, raising concerns more campuses, particularly in established inner suburbs and low-growth country towns, will close in the coming years. The four primary schools now under review are St Bridget's in Greythorn, St John's in Clifton Hill, St Mary Magdalene's in Chadston and St Joseph's in Black Rock, which has a combined 309 students last year. It's not very many. Families at St Joseph's in Black Rock learnt last week the school could shut down at the end of the year. St Joseph's had 75 students enrolled last year, down from 136 in 2017. School parent Becky McDonough said she was worried about her boys, Harry, who is in year five, and Sebastian in year four. She said nearby schools did not compete on class size or immediate help for Harry, who has special needs. The other schools are 600 plus students, she said. He won't get extra help immediately in the classroom. Dr. Emma Rowe, education lecturer at Deakin University, said small schools were often attractive for parents and students, particularly those with special needs. 
a bigger school, you get to share more of your resources, so it's cheaper, but it's a shame for parents who want small schools, she said. Rowe said the four schools under review were in wealthier areas, which typically favoured independent or high-performing state schools. Catholic schools provide a low-fee private experience, but they are caught in the middle of social and cultural challenges. Close to 21% of Victorian students attend Catholic schools, and the number of children enrolled in Catholic primary schools rose by about 400 this year to 78,000, Max said. But the system shed students in 2022 as families increasingly chose independent schools. The Catholic system has opened more than a dozen schools in Melbourne's fast-growing outer suburbs and the region since 2017 and received hundreds of millions of dollars from the Andrews government for new schools and upgrades. Catholic schools also get capital funding from the federal government. In recent years, the system has shut down a handful of tiny primary schools in the inner suburbs, including St. Benedict's in Burwood and St. Kevin's Primary School in Ormond. Max, which was established in 2020 to govern and operate around 300 Catholic schools, said a decision about St. Joseph's would be made by term three. Archbishop Peter Comensoli has the final say. Before 2020, schools were owned and operated by parishes. BlackRock has a median age of 49, well above the Victorian median of 38. The 2021 census showed 588 students were enrolled in preschool or primary school across the wealthy Bayside suburb. Max told St Joseph families that while certain areas were experiencing rapid residential growth and high demand for schools, others had declining demand. It said low and falling enrolments led to less government funding, troubles employing specialist staff or offering specialist subjects and difficulties retaining staff. To ensure that Max fulfills its mission to provide the best education possible to our students, we continue, continually review all 300 schools across our organisation, it said. As a result, we are currently consulting with four primary school communities to better understand how we can address their current enrolment challenges. Max made its first school purchase last year of De La Salle College in Malvern for an undisclosed sum. Back to you, Jean. Yes, and I, that actually raises a lot of questions because these schools are now being paid for by the taxpayer. When they are closed and sold, who gets the money? The Catholic Church. Yeah, um, you know, it's actually unjust enrichment if you think about it. Um, but uh, what is of interest to me particularly is that the Catholic system is becoming highly centralised. It has been centralised for lobbying purposes to get the money into it, but now its administration is also becoming very highly centralised. And they're the ones that complain about the state system being centralised. I find it very interesting indeed. Okay, well, we'll have a bit of a break and uh, we'll come back to find out what happens when school fees aren't paid. Get ready to add your support during our annual Radiothon. Stay tuned, stay radical. 3CR Radiothon Fundraiser, June 2023. To donate, call the station 03 9419 8377 or donate online, 3cr.org.au. 3CR Radiothon 2023. Stay tuned, stay radical.
Looking for an easy way to keep up with your annual 3CR subscription? You can now set up an annual debit from your bank account or credit card and once a year your payment will be automatically deducted. You can cancel at any time and you'll get a reminder each year before payment. Be a constant supporter of Melbourne's precious independent community radio station and set up a recurring payment today. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State College. schools are great. Harkaway Primary great School. Sunshine North Primary They're School. They're really concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. Like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's who, that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the weekly assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a, a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words that is actually... So, so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn it into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses, refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long, don't necessarily start off with a positive great deal. relationships with each other, with teachers, and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast, and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools. Therese Virtue here from Music Sans Frontières. Subscribe to 3CR for music programs dominated by Australian artists, supporting Australian music making and lifting your day with glorious sound. 3CR is a membership-based organisation. We depend on our members' support. That's why we make it so easy to subscribe. Call 9419 8377 or go online to 3cr.org.au. You're still listening to the Dogs Program and we are supporters of public education and uh, public education is free, secular and compulsory. But the free bit means that you can't be taken to court for not paying voluntary fees. However, private schools have taken one family at least to court for uh, paying fees or they've put the debt collectors in and the family has fought back, and here is Dale with the story. Thanks, Jean. Here's an article by Jordan Baker. 
chased by school debt collectors, the Parsons fought back and won. In year 10, Luke Parsons decided to leave school and begin a building apprenticeship. His teachers were supportive, the school let him spend two days a week working with his future employer, and he sat a test for students who did not intend to complete the HSC. His final report said, we wish him all the very best for his future in the world beyond the school gates. He departed Lorien Novalis, a Rudolf Steiner school in the northwest Sydney suburb of Dural, with goodwill and fond memories. But all that evaporated a month later when the Parsons were contacted by the school's debt collector. The family had not filled in the correct form about Luke's departure, so the school said Parsons owed a terms fee, which amounted to $987, as stipulated under the original contract in 2016 before Luke joined the school in Year 5. The Parsons said no one had told them about this form, they did not have a copy of the contract, and they had let many people teachers and administration staff at the school know, but none of them had mentioned the form. Everyone knew he was leaving, said Helen Parsons. A terms fee for late notice is standard in high school enrolment contracts, and the amounts range from $9,000 at high-fee schools to a few hundred at low-fee ones. Conflict between parents and a school over whether enough notice has been given when a child leaves is also common. Most parents end up paying the extra terms fees as the cost of hiring lawyers to contest it is far greater than the late withdrawal penalty. But the Parsons refused to refused on principle. When the school's lawyers filed a statement of claim in the small claims division of the local court asking for the money plus interests and costs, they decided to fight it and represent themselves. Mark and I said, there has to be some sense of fairness here, said Parsons. I feel we took every effort available to make the school aware he wasn't coming back. They were spurred on by a finding in the ACT's Civil and Administrative Tribunal, reported by this masthead last May, in which a father disputed a $3,785 bill from Brindabella Christian College for late notice of withdrawal and won. He argued it was unfair that the school could change the terms of the enrolment contract, such as raise fees, without giving parents the opportunity to withdraw their child without penalty. The tribunal was satisfied the contract put parents at a significant disadvantage. The Parsons provided documents showing that the school knew of Luke's plans for the next year, that it arranged for him to sit the minimal standards test, and that teachers had announced to Year 10 on the last day that Luke and another boy were leaving. They researched Australian consumer law. Some days I'd think, are we crazy principled people, said Parsons, but it felt like a David and Goliath to us. On the sheer face of it, it's wrong. The dispute dragged on for a year before the school withdrew its claim earlier this year. The whole process took a year and a bit. It was very stressful, said Parsons. They ended up dropping everything and we didn't have to pay a cent. The experience soured the Parsons' otherwise positive experience with the school. But Luke's put it behind him and is thriving in his new job. He's so happy, he's out working and the world is his oyster, said Parsons. In a statement, the school's principal, 
Conrad Korobach said the Parsons had enrolled Luke in 2016 and signed a contract as part of that process. This included a requirement that the school receive a written communication of one month's notice of student withdrawal, he said. This is a standard practice of independent schools to enable forward planning, budgeting and opening a place of enrolment for new students to the school. In matters of hardship, the school considers alternate arrangements, including the waiving of outstanding debt. In this instance, no communication for support or otherwise was received. In the wake of the ACT decision, the Association of Independent Schools of New South Wales issued advice to schools on the subject, saying each case should be assessed on its merits and schools should review contracts to ensure they were reasonable and fair in all circumstances. Those circumstances include how changes can be made to the contract and what notice is afforded to the parents to make an informed choice about the ongoing enrolment. The school should also consider whether it's difficult to replace that student or whether another student could be called up from the waiting list. Back to you, Jean. Well, thank you, Dale. And there you have some parents who fought back against the private system, perhaps they should have sent their children to a public school in the first place. But we're going over to America now with Dale. Over to you, Dale. Thanks, Jean. From the Diane Ravitch blog, we have an article by Josh Cohen. Texas doesn't need vouchers. Neither does any other state. Josh Cohen is a professor of education policy at Michigan State University. He's been involved in research on vouchers for two decades. He wrote the following article for the Houston Chronicle. Every state has versions of Texas's snapshot day, the time early in the school year when, when districts submit pupil counts to their state education agency. How many students go to a school in each district determines how much money districts receive each year, as well as a variety of other services and programs. Not every state is considering a school voucher program, however, and as the Texas legislature debates that possibility, officially called an education savings account, details like pupil count are going to matter a lot more than either voucher supporters or opponents are considering right now. Here's how we know. I've been studying school choice policy for two decades. That work includes official evaluations on behalf of state agencies and more recent experiences on the Research Advisory Board for Washington, D.C.'s federally required evaluations. I've also worked as a research partner to states and districts across the country. I know how little seemingly inconsequential technical details can have great impacts on how education programs function. And I know those impacts can be costly, with taxpayers footing the bill. Consider evaluations for, of voucher programs like the one before legislature right now. I've described elsewhere how these studies show catastrophic academic harm to students who switch to private school with a voucher. That's because vouchers tend to pay tuition, not at elite providers that don't need the tax dollars, but at sub prime schools needing the bailout, including those popping up to cash in on the new government subsidy. Sounds familiar. <laughs> Here's something else that those programs tell us. 
Although supporters often describe school choice as a long-term opportunity, the reality is that for many kids, school choice is just a revolving door in and out of a new academic setting. And that's especially true with vouchers. Studies show that more than one out of five students give up their voucher every year. In some places like Florida, that number is as high as two-thirds of voucher students leaving the program within two academic years. Similarly, the numbers publicly available from Indiana, Louisiana and Wisconsin range between 20 and 30 percent annual student attrition. These exit rates matter not only because they underscore the false promise of vouchers, that vouchers give to at-risk students. Switching from school to school is a well-understood marker of academic or economic duress, but because they imply a huge potential fiscal waste. Voucher supporters say it's easy. The dollars will follow the kid. This already happens with public schools, which is why count days exist. But it's not that simple. Public programs with price tags in the hundreds of millions of dollars never are. Imagine a parent who spends all of the proposed $8,000 of their voucher at a private school nearby. Let's say that before the last Friday in October, snapshot day, she sees the school simply isn't working for her child and withdraws him. Will that private school keep the money or will the dollars follow the kid immediately back to the public school? Imagine that parent waits until the holiday season to make a change and in January she enrolls her child back in the local public classroom. Will that local school be forced to enrol her child, a refugee from a voucher program, on its own local dime for the rest of the year? Do these answers change if instead of the parent deciding to remove her child, the private school has made the choice instead? If voucher school If the voucher school has asked or forced her child to leave, something the current legislation permits for any reason, along with denying admission in the first place, will it keep her tuition dollars as long as it waits until after snapshot day to do so? These 30% of voucher decliners aren't just numbers. The studies from other states tell us they are likely vulnerable. Kids who are scoring lower on school exams, kids from lower income families, children of colour and children from single mum households. Senate Bill 8 only stipulates that parents must notify the state of their exit within 30 business days. It does not establish a process to recover those dollars. And even when state guidance on these questions is issued, who will enact them? The fiscal note on SB8 makes assumptions about staff and legal support to fund the program, but the legislation itself is ambiguous on issues like tuition reimbursement or even the authority that compliance officers have to recover state funds. Details matter. The ballooning voucher budget in Arizona and controversial new rollout in Arkansas warn us that making public policy by slogan, however clever, fund students, not systems, might sound, is no substitute for careful planning. The revolving door of school voucher tuition is one such detail, one that not only affects taxpayers' bottom line, but more basic issues of equity and opportunity as well. The bottom line for SB8 then, based on the evidence in other states, is that school voucher type programs are, on average, bad for kids 
and bad for taxpayers. Texas would do well to reject them now. So here's another article by Diane Ravitch uh, about Illinois uh, withholding state funds from institutions that ban books. This is good news. Uh, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker is expected to sign a bill that would withhold state funds from institutions that ban books amid nationwide efforts to pull some titles from shelves. Illinois is one step closer to preventing book banning in Illinois libraries, said Illinois Secretary of State Alexei Giannoulias. Under this bill, we can support our state's libraries and librarians and protect them under attempts to ban, remove and restrict access to books and resources, he said. The state's HB 2789 would require libraries to adopt the American Library Association's Library Bill of Rights, which indicates materials should not be prescribed or removed because of partisan or doctrinal disapproval, according to the proposed text, or develop their own such statement against book banning in order to be eligible for state grants. The bill has cleared the state legislature and now heads to the governor's desk. Pritzker has previously said he supports the bill, according to the Secretary of State's office. Banning books is a devastating attempt to erase our history and the authentic stories of many. Students across this state deserve to see themselves reflected in the pages of stories that teach and entertain. I'm proud to support House Bill 2789 and ensure that Illinois' libraries remain sources of knowledge, creativity and fact. Pritzker said in a March press release. Our nation's libraries have been under attack for too long. They are bastions of knowledge and proliferate the spread of ideas. That's why I'm pr so proud that my measure to prevent the banning of books passed in the Senate today, said Illinois State Senator Laura Murphy, one of the bill's sponsors. So lots happening in the States. Back to you, Jean. Well, not all of the news out of America is bad. But we've got some really good news here from Australia. It's time for our Great State School. Every week on the Doctor Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the school. week. Great state schools. State, state schools. schools. School are of the week. Schools. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. <laughs> And this week's Great State School is Lorimar Primary School in Doreen. Congratulations, Lorimar Primary School. Lorimar Primary is now an established school in its 15th year. As students journey through their school, they gain more than just a great education. They receive opportunities both within and beyond the classroom. Lorimar Primary has a strong history, but their eyes are set firmly ahead, educating young people of character for a global future. The school is designed and built to incorporate the latest facilities for engaging students and compromises, sorry, comprises six buildings, a fully equipped STEM centre, two learning centres, 15 double open plan relocatable classrooms, an art centre, which is for music and visual arts, admin centre, staff room and library, full-size gym with canteen and associated amenities, two bike sheds with housing capacity for 400 bikes and scooters and a fully operational 
out-of-school hours care and vacation care. Uh, the teachers are highly valued and they help to set the tone and culture within their educational institution. They have a strong coaching program that has been developed and team teaching between classes is embraced. And importantly, they aim to be leaders in education and in social and emotional learning. Now to some facts and figures. The school has 961 pupils enrolled at the school. The ICSIA value is 1,030, which is above the average of 1,000. The students are broadly representative of the community. Only 16% have parents from the upper quartile in income, 28% in the second highest, 35% from the third quartile, and 21% from the poorest quartile of the community. But 20% of the pupils speak a language other than English, and 3% are of Indigenous parentage. This is a school with advantaged students as well as disadvantaged students with a dedicated principal and teachers. It costs the taxpayer $12,679 to send a student to this school, which is about the Gonski resource standard. The school receives only $2.65 million from the federal government annually, $8.5 million from the state government, um, $536,000 from fees, and 613000 from private fundraising. The capital grants in the last three years have only been $1 million. All this public and private money is money well spent. The NAPLAN results of these students are just fine. So congratulations, Lorimar Primary School. You are our great state school of the week. And that's our program for this afternoon. Uh, if you want to find out more about us or reread our our news release, then you go to www.adogs.info. But from Oliver and Dale and Jack and Maddie and me, it's bye for now. Went on to organize
from San Diego up to Maine in every mine and mill where workers strike and organize it's there you find your hill it's there you find your hill I dreamed I saw Joe night alive as you and me says I but Joe you're ten years dead I never died says he You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.